Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Whoever of you does not forsake all is going to have a hard time being my disciple. Is that what it says? It's that nasty, tough word. You cannot be my disciple. The question is, so how many of us are just playing that we're disciples? Because we've never come to a point of surrendering all. We've never committed everything to Christ. Are you kidding? No, no. I just asked Christ into my life. I asked Jesus to come and save me, but I've never come to a point in my life that I've really surrendered all to him. Well, on the authority of God's word, you can't be his disciple. That's the words of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus is not a flippant thing. Even though many claims have been made about discipleship, too often we see great discrepancy between the way people live and what the Bible says are the characteristics of a true disciple. In our time with Pastor David, we'll take a look at what the Bible says about discipleship. Although many have professed to be followers of Jesus, God makes a distinction between those who are honestly pursuing Jesus as true followers of the Son of God. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Final Exam. God has invited us to come and be a part of the kingdom of God, to serve him wholly and completely within our lives. And when the time comes to truly commit our lives and to truly uh, move forward in our lives in service, suddenly we can come up with all kinds of excuses, can't we? Oh, you know what? I just bought some real estate and I've really got to take care of my financial dealings with that piece of real estate. And then, Lord, after I get my finances done, after I get these purchases taken care of, then maybe I can serve you. Then maybe I can follow you. Lord, I've got this business deal. I've just bought some new equipment at my business. Our business is expanding, this five yoke of oxen, whatever it might be. Lord, as soon as I get all of these things taken care of, then I'll come, I'll I'll follow you, I'll, I'll serve you then. I'll I'll seek your will in my life. Lord, I I just got married. My relationship now is more toward my wife than it is toward you. You know, the sad reality is, is Jesus is going to tell them in just a moment, you really need to look and understand where your utmost loyalty needs to be. Do we need to make a living? Absolutely. He's given us, you know, jobs. He's given us opportunities here to do it. But is that the most important thing in your life? It should not be. Your walk, your commitment, your, your devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. That needs to be utmost in each one of our lives. You don't think that the Lord will provide for us if we get our priorities right and straight and we honor him in all that we do and all that we uh, process in life? He said that if you'll honor me, if you seek my kingdom first, 
All these other things will be added to you. All these other things will be taken care of. But here, these had come, and then they placed other things of greater importance than of following the Lord. And so verse 21 says, And so the servant came and reported these things to the master. And the master of the house, being angry, catch that if you would, please. The master of the house was angry. And again, if you follow the the parable of who that master of the house is through all of this, that's an important understanding here. Master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. The servant said, master, it's done. And as you've commanded, still there's room. Again, in the context of the story, I believe that he's speaking the, the original ones that were invited, man, it was the household of Israel. It was the people of Israel, come, man, I've got a great banquet. I want you to come and be a part of my kingdom. But there are too many things in their lives that were keeping them from being faithful in their obedience, faithful in their uh, surrender of their lives to the Lord. I've just got too many things. Lord, I want to serve you, but... You know what, as soon as we put a but in there, we cancel everything else prior to that out. Lord, Lord, I love you and, and I, I dedicate my life to you, but cancel out everything else. Now tell him what's real and true. But first, I want to take care of finances in my life. First, I want to deal with some of the issues in my own life my own way. First, I want to have my times of pleasure, my times of my own plans. Oh, but Lord, I love you with all of my heart, and I will follow you in every way. But first, everything else is canceled out. The context of the story, I believe at one point, again, the, the, the calling was for all of Israel, and now it actually comes out to those with afflictions, those that have been placed outside of polite company, those who are maimed, the lame, the blind, the poor. And Jesus said, you know, the, the others have so many things in front of them, so many things involved in their lives. And beloved, sometimes these physical blessings that we have in life can actually become a curse in our life. Because again, we can become more attached to the physical things, and to the pleasures of this life, we become more attached to that than to absolute surrender. The poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, they didn't have anything else, man. They came. They came to the banquet. They wanted to be a part. But the servant says, we've done that, and there's still room. So in verse 23, says, the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. I believe that that call to the highways and the hedges, that seems to include even the Gentile world. That's the grand portion of you and I. Even as the main focus toward Israel gets readjusted due to their refusal to accept that invitation. Now we need to be careful here that we don't take the message and the meaning of this story too far and totally exclude Israel from God's plan because that's not God's purpose or point. Paul tells us in the book of Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 that God is not through with Israel yet. He still has a place and a plan for the people and for the nation of Israel. And yet what we have here is an issue of God's judicial anger. 
The writer of Proverbs helps us to understand and and to see that anger, that judicial anger of God a little bit clearer. If you want to turn there with me, if you would, in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. We don't often think about this aspect of God, and yet it's fully one of his attributes. Oh, well, God is love, and God is gracious, and God is long-suffering, and God is merciful. Absolutely, he is. But God also has lines that are drawn. God also has commands and decrees, and God does have a place and a limit. Look down in verse 24, Proverbs chapter 1 with me, if you would. Beginning Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24. God speaking here, he says, because I've called and you refused, because I've stretched out my hand and no one is regarded, because you disdained all of my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Because then you're going to call out to me, but I will not answer. They'll seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel. They despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Beloved, there is a great seriousness about the call of God within our lives. And if you are among those who who think that the call of God in your life is something light, something that's just added on, it's like like dessert at the end of the main meal, it's like uh, an extra side of uh, gravy with the meal, you know, that, that the call of God in your life is not the most important thing. If you've set it off to the side and everything else in life is more important to you, you need to realize that God will take second place to nothing and to no one. Whether it be, again, uh, uh, the processes of, of life or relationships or whatever area of our lives, God desires to be number one. He is a jealous God. And yes, he is a jealous God. And yes, he does and he will deal in anger. He's called us to follow him. He's called us to follow him out of the greatness of his love. He's overlooked our failings. He's overlooked our sinfulness. He's he's worked and moved within our lives. He's forgiven our sinfulness through the blood of Christ. He's called us to himself. He continues to work in our lives through that process of long-suffering as we continue to serve him, as we continue to desire to be found faithful. But beloved, for those that simply mock the grace of God, for those that simply turn around and say, it's no big deal in my life as far as how I live my life, in passion and pressing into Christ. God says, no, he's not going to be mocked. You've turned away from me, so when time comes of trouble, I'm not going to answer you. There's a seriousness about the call of God in our lives. Jesus goes on in verse 25, or Luke writes on in verse 25. He says, great multitudes went with Jesus, and he 
turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. If you underline or write in your Bible, and I encourage you to do that, underline or write or highlight that word can not, cannot. Listen to what it says, verse 26. If anyone comes to me, does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life also, he's going to have a difficult time being my disciple. It's not what it says, is it? It's a world of difference between cannot and a difficult. And you might say, well, pastor, wait a minute. It's saying to hate my father and mother. Doesn't the Bible say that I'm supposed to honor my father and mother? Doesn't the word also say that I'm to love my wife, uh, that I'm, I'm supposed to, again, give my life to her, I'm to, again, care and love for my brothers and sisters? Isn't that the heart and the attitude of God? Yes, but you need to understand within the context of what he's speaking here, our commitment, our call, our devotion to the Lord God Almighty and to our Lord Jesus Christ ought to be so dynamically powerful and strong in our life that every other relation, every other relation falls a distant second, a distant second. Yeah, that means your family. That means your children. That means your parents. That means every relationship that you have. Doesn't mean that we love our families less, that we honor our parents less, or we disregard the needs of family, but that the greatness of our love for our Savior is so dynamically powerful and solid that nothing else can even come close. That's what Jesus is trying to drive home here. He says, if you don't have those kinds of relationships in order and in the right kind of balance, you cannot be my disciple. Look what he says in verse 27. He says, whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me, again, he's going to have a hard time being my disciple. What does it say, church? Cannot cannot be my disciple. What does he mean by bearing his cross? I've got this really slick looking silver cross that I wear every once in a while or this nice little bronze thing or this thing that's made with nails. That's not bearing the cross. The cross was an instrument of death. It says unless you are in a situation in your life that you are dying daily and elsewhere Jesus says, man, we need to die daily. We need to die daily. Why? Because of pride. It comes all the way back to that first issue of pride. We die daily. Why do I have to die again tomorrow? Because the old carcass kicks the nails out of the coffin. He climbs out of that thing again. He's got to die again. And sometimes it's more than daily in my case, okay? Sometimes it's throughout the day, several times. He's got to die again and again. Why? Because pride rises up. And rather than surrender, rather than humility before the Lord, rather than seeking the Lord with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, suddenly other things come in the way. The pleasures of this life, the desires of this life, my own plans, my own direction. And suddenly I realize, man, it's the flesh that's leading. It's not the Holy Spirit. Die again. Die daily. That's why I've got to carry a cross around with me because every once in a while I've got to plant that dude and allow myself to be crucified again. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. We, as people, ought to be dead. 
and yet alive in Christ. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him? This man began to build, was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king doesn't sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other's still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. Jesus says, count the cost. You say you, you want to be my disciple. You say you are my disciple. Did you ever really truly stop to count the cost? Or did you buy into this cheap grace that so much has become a part of Western culture Christianity? That it costs us nothing and we surrender nothing and so we become literally nothing within the kingdom of God. Rather than according to what the gospel declares, yes, Jesus paid the price for our sin. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. But it's also Jesus that says, you know what? You need to surrender everything. You need to give everything up and come and follow me. That's what the call of discipleship is all about. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and in his presence daily live. All surrendered to Jesus. Afraid too often in our Western culture, we have altar calls and people come forward and they make a, a surface or an emotional commitment to follow Jesus in order to get their ticket into heaven. Say, my eternity is taken care of. I, I said the prayer. I, I, I wrote on the card. I, 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 I did whatever kind of ritual that was required of me. I guarantee you, you, you get a large mass of people and you ask that large mass of people, says, hey, how many of you here want to go to heaven? You want to have eternity in heaven and people everywhere that stand up. If you want to go to heaven for all eternity, come forward and we want to pray with you and people would come and they would flood the altar. But you make a call to commitment, says, how many of you want to die tonight? How many of you are willing to surrender everything that you have? You're willing to surrender family. You're willing to surrender businesses. You're willing to surrender your plans and your purpose, all of your future, in order that you might come and follow the footsteps of Jesus. You see, that's a totally different call. That's not going to fill the altar. But I guarantee you, once we understand truly what that call is about, our commitment to Christ becomes real and true, rather than, hey, it's just a great way to get to heaven what a great ride it is. Jesus says in verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all is going to have a hard time being my disciple. That's not what it says. It's that nasty, tough word. You cannot be my disciple. My question is, so how many of us are just playing that we're disciples? Because we've never come to a point of, surrendering all. We've never committed everything to Christ. Are you kidding? No, no. I just asked Christ into my life. I asked Jesus to come and save me, but I've never come to a point in my life that I've really surrendered all to him. Well, on the authority of God's word, you can't be his disciple. That's the words of Jesus. 
I believe that too many within what we see as the recognizable or the visible church of our Western culture are those who have bought into a cheap grace. They don't understand truly what it means to be an honest and true follower of Jesus. We end this up, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. See, salt was of great value in that day. As a matter of fact, the Roman soldiers of that time, they often were paid in salt. You heard the phrase, well, he's really worth his salt. That comes from that idea of the Roman soldiers being paid in their salt, he, with salt. He was worth his salt. Salt was used in a multitude of ways during that time. They didn't have uh, refrigerators and freezers at that time. So the salt was used as a, as a preserver. They would take the meat that they would have, and whether it be fish or, or whatever kind of meat, and they would, again, rub it in the salt and cure it with the salt so that it would last for a while. Salt, of course, for the seasoning and all of these things. And yet, if the salt lost its... Oh, by the way, also, it wasn't the processed salt that you and I have today. It was a whole different kind and style of salt, and it would lose its flavor. It could lose its flavor. And again, it would lose its ability to act as a preserving agent. And when that time came, it was worth nothing. It might look like salt, but it's actually worth nothing. I believe what Jesus is saying here is that for you and I as believers, for you and I as those who testify to be believers, you and I who testify to be followers of Christ, if there's no seasoning if there's no real preserving work within us, we're really not good for a whole lot of anything. Not even fit for the land, not even the dunghill. Elsewhere, he says, they, they throw it on the ground and men march right over it. He says, he who has ears, let him hear what the Lord says. Let him hear what these words are being spoken. Consider the cost of what it means to follow Christ. Just as that man that building the house, just as the, the man with the army, consider the cost. Consider what this is going to take. We don't do altar calls here, and a lot of people say, well, why don't you do altar calls? I grew up in churches that did altar calls every time they meet. You'd meet for a potluck, they'd have an altar call, you know, uh, every, every opportunity that they had. But the problem is, is most of those altar calls were simply emotional trappings, the lights were just right, the music was just right, and at the end, the pastor would say some really sad story that would cause the hardest of men to be in tears, and then say, won't you come forward? And people would come forward, and they would make some kind of a commitment, some kind of a, a, a prayer, they would say, but were they really and truly paying the cost? I would rather you consider the cost. I would rather you count the cost and not make a commitment today, but look and see, Lord, am I really ready to surrender all? And for you to wrestle with the Lord Jesus. When was the last time you really wrestled with God? How about in the time of your commitment to him? Was there really a wrestling? Or was it just as easy as flipping one page over to the next? Has that really and truly happened in your life? Or did you just simply step into a church door one day and decided, I think I'll be a Christian? Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you'll in no way even see the kingdom of God. My greatest fear is that churches are filled today with people who are very good at church, 
but they're not a part of the kingdom of God. Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.